Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. This is Clinton Robison, your host, as per usual. And thanks to our mutual friends, the Sutherlands, I am lucky enough to be joined today by the writer and artist behind the comic Trekker, Mr. Ron Randall. Ron, thank you for agreeing to join me today. Thanks very much, Clinton. It's great to be here. Okay, so uh, for those who don't know anything about you, I'm told you're a graduate of the Kubert School. Is that right? Yes, uh, that's right. I, uh, I'm, I'm an early graduate. I was in the second graduating class of the Kubert School back in the uh, you know back in the age when dinosaurs still still walked the earth it almost feels like oh my it's been God. a long time yeah wow so how long have you been working in comics exactly um, I, I cracked in in the early 1980s uh, I got out of the Kubert School graduated from there and um, got a few short stories right away because uh, Joe was still teaching at the Kubert School uh, and so um, I studied directly under Joe, and at the same time he was the editor at DC Comics of the Sergeant Rock book, which at the time, um, for those readers who may not know, Sergeant Rock is a World War II comic, kind of a classic, I think most people would say, as were so many things that Joe Kubert touched. Um, but Joe was the editor on the book, uh, and the books back then, some of them, like Sergeant Rock, had sh- very short backup stories, sometimes two or three page stories. And Joe let some of the graduating students um, do some of these little stories to sort of get dip our toe in the water working professionally. So, um, so I started pretty early on uh, and sort of gradually managed to <laughs> insinuate myself into the in- industry. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not even just known for comics, though. Um, apparently your bio online lists a couple of Dungeons & Dragons adventures. Uh, yeah, those were done. Well, let's see. Uh, I've, I've I've had a couple of different um, associations with with uh, Dungeons and Dragons and TSR. I did some illustrations for some of the TSR. Um, I guess resource materials, some some single you know spot illustrations and that sort of stuff. Um, but it was long enough ago now that I couldn't answer specifics about that. But also uh, in the um, I guess the late '80s, early '90s. Um, You'd have to do a Wikipedia search to check the dates, I guess. But I, I drew the Dragonlance comic book for um, – that was a combination DC-TSR production. They put out a line of books. There was an, uh, a Dungeons & Dragon comic book and a Dragonlance comic book, and I did the Dragonlance one. So uh, that was a chance to really play in the um, you know, the fantasy, sword and sorcery sort of, sort of field that you don't get a lot of comic books that are, that are in the pocket in that genre. So that was a fun – that, that was a fun uh, uh, gig for me to have because I'm a big fan of um, people like Hal Foster. <laughs> <laughs> so a chance to sort of 
classic illustration with knights in chain mail and and you know riding around on horses and fighting dragons and castles and all that sort of stuff is uh, it's a great great visual vo- vocabulary um, and uh, it was real fun to immerse myself in that high adventure world. Wow, I mean, I know I had picked up like a few spotty issues of the Dragonlance series back in the day. I didn't realize that was <laughs> you then. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> well, I, I, I should say I do the I do it for the first basically the first two years worth. Uh, my fingerprints were all over that book. I penciled and inked it for a little while. Then I was just a pencil on it. And uh, there was one stint uh, where I was inking over somebody else. So, but I was involved in a lot of those issues. Yeah. Well, since you brought it up, how is it different inking your own work as opposed to someone else inking it? Um. Well, the, how, there's so many ways to answer it. it it's profoundly different uh, um, to me. Um, huh, when I pencil, I, I I rarely, because I grew up or not grew up, but when I but I when I was learning at the Kubert School, um, most of us there were approaching the work as something we would do all of, uh, pencil and inking it. So to me, I tend to view penciling as being a very preliminary step very preliminary stage so the pencils were not generally speaking i don't do really super tight pencils um some artists have sort of established that as as a as a bar now or an expectation that uh, the pencils are so very tight that they could almost be shot from the pencils and there's not a lot of requirement on the inker's part to go in and sort of tie things up or fine tune or embellish as is the phrase they often use um, so my pencils tend to be like that. Uh, so when I work with another inker, there's room for interpretation, um, for them to come in and sort of contribute their own, <laughs> their own, um, um, their own taste, their own, their, their own finishing touches to the work. Um, which I would like to think for an inker that's, that would make a job more interesting for them. It makes it somewhat more harrowing <laughs> for me because um i do at the same time feel pretty attached to anything that i draw and so when you're inviting a, a collaboration that means uh, a certain amount of compromise is usually called for it's rare to, to for me to pencil something that somebody else thinks and when i get it back i say oh yeah that's pretty much exactly how i saw it they always bring their own their own um additions to it that's that's part of being on a team and to be you know honest somebody objectively looking at it might say oh this person really you know smoothed out some of the rough edges in ron's things every every person has their own um um blind spots in their own work i would say so so most of us really do benefit um or, or at least the art objectively can benefit by having another set of eyes and another set of hands working on it but what you lose there can be that that sort of intimate feeling you have that you're getting one person's, you know, the pure voice of one person. Um, and, and so I, I tend to prefer inking my own pencils for that reason, I guess. Okay. Uh, well, here's the question I probably should have led with. Uh, did you always know <laughs> that you wanted to go into comics or was that like a later life decision? Uh, no, that the, the, the bug hit me super early on. Um, Back when I was a kid, comics were sort of ubiquitous. Uh, they were they were everywhere, just like you know, candy bars and <laughs> balsawood airplanes and that sort of stuff. It was just it was just part of a kid's life when I grew up. Um, but when I was uh, early in my grade school years, I I met a buddy, we became friends, 
And one day I was hanging out. We went over to his house to play. And there were these stacks of comic books around. I mean, I had comic books, but he had these comic books were stacked. And they were uh, they were they were uh, categorized. They were separated by different creators. Uh, and it may sound a little bit like an obvious thing to say, but but I had it hadn't I had just taken comic books for granted, and it hadn't occurred to me that different people wrote and drew different comic books. <laughs> um, and it just it, it, and it just I remember I just had this thought, huh? People do this. That's their job. Some people do this, and that's what they do for a living. And uh, I can't explain why, but um, that sort of uh, made a light bulb go off in my head, or whatever you want to say, but I, I just said, that sounds pretty fun. You know, that, that sounds like a pretty cool thing to do. So I started to, I, I guess I'd always been drawing. I, I am told when I was very young, I was drawing all the time. I don't remember that, but, but, uh, from around that time, I started to be more intentional about, you know, making up my own superheroes <laughs> and, and starting to draw my own little comics when I was in grade school. And I had some friends who would do the same. We would get together, and, and one of the things that we would do in our you know playtime would be to draw some you know draw some comic book characters and, and talk about the comic books that we both loved and that sort of stuff. And for whatever reason, while with all of them, as time went by, one after another, they would be interested for a while, but then they would drift away and find other things. Um, uh, and and for me, um, I, the the bug never left me. I, I continued to you know write and draw my own comics, even though I. I lived in Portland, Oregon, and back then the entire comics industry was in Little Manhattan, and uh, I, I just thought that was like another world. I just thought there wasn't much chance I'd go back to Manhattan and be able to work professionally, and yet I never gave up on doing it. And so it was sort of like I had had that. Gosh, wouldn't this be neat? But I didn't have a practical plan or way to to go about getting it uh, when I was a kid. But uh, uh, eventually, um, when I heard about the Cuban School, that was the real turning point. That's when I um, applied and got into the school the next thing i know i'm standing in the middle of new jersey um and i said gosh i guess i'm pretty serious about this because <laughs> here i am three thousand miles away from home in a part of the country that uh i didn't have a very good impression of when i was a little kid <laughs> for whatever reason i just grew up with the thought that the east coast was just a remote distant place full of huge huge intimidating scary big cities and all that which it is but <laughs> but there are nice aspects too of course but uh for me it was just such a different world than the one that i as a little kid growing up in portland oregon um thought i'd ever be able to um be a part of but uh, but it worked out i guess <laughs> okay well i you know later on i realized i was a fan of your art i never like you i didn't really pay attention to the creators when i was first reading comics i'm a Sad to say, but you know, go back a few years later and it's like, hey, you know, this this one's written by this guy. This one's done, got art done by this person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I looked over your credits, and gosh, I mean, you've done characters ranging from Johnny Quest to Firestorm to Wolverine to even Godzilla. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and Predator and Aliens, and I've done Star Wars comic books and Justice League comic books and some Swamp Thing comics too. So um, yeah, it's, I've had a long I've had a long run, and it's uh, it's sort of taken me all over the map. Um, and in an industry where, especially when I started, it was you know the mainstream comic books were superheroes, and uh, so there wasn't a whole lot of work to be had in some of these other genres. Um, uh, 
Um, but I, I, I have a pretty extensive amount of work done in things that are not superhero comic books, <laughs> um, which I, I guess is kind of unusual. Um, it seems to me that that is certainly the you know the impression that I had back in the day was 75, 80%, 85% of the industry was superheroes. So it's kind of interesting to me that as much of my work wound up not being in that in that in that body. Um, so, but it was fine for me because I, I have a huge love for for other fantasy adventure and science fiction uh, comic comic stuff so so i'm happy with pretty much happy with the body work i've been able to <laughs> land up, end up with oh, and well what would be some of the favorite series and characters you've worked on over the years uh well let's see um you mentioned a couple of my i fairly just a couple of years ago i got to work on the the dc's version uh uh of the hanna barbera characters they where they had uh, it was called future quest and it featured pretty much all those prominent Hanna-Barbera cartoon characters, Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, Mitor, the Herculoids. That was a blast because as a kid, I just, you know, I ate those cartoons up like, like most kids did. Um, I had a real fun time on a run I did on Supergirl uh, a bunch of years ago. Um, I got to work for a very brief time uh, helping out Gail Simone and uh, my good friend Terry Dodson with some issues of Wonder Woman, which was just, just you know, <laughs> I can't even say that was a great honor to be able to work, uh, to work with them as was working with, you know, Alan Moore on, on Swamp Thing a little bit. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of fun jobs in different genres, Star Wars, how can you not in, have a great time getting a chance to play in that universe? You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, of course, you know, being honest, the, my favorite, my favorite work is when I get to work on my own series, Trekker. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, a lot of the issues that you've done for Marvel and DC are up on their apps. Personally, I'm still waiting for Eric, Son of Thunder, but, <laughs> you know, I, I guess beggars can't be choosers. Well, you can uh, all you can do is put it out there. Um, uh, I don't know what the uh, criteria is or, or how what, what the threshold is that they need to reach before they figure there's enough demand to to make it financially viable to do that. But uh, I, I think it would be great to, to get a book like Eric uh back back in the public eye uh it was written by it was written by Roy thomas one of the one of the absolutely indisputable comic legends and uh his work should be his work should be available for sure well you mentioned your own creation trekker uh, can you tell me how you came up with the idea for trekker originally oh absolutely i love to talk about trekker um <laughs> um that was maybe more self-revealing than it should have been. No, um, so uh, I got to create Trekker. It was largely a case of being in the right place at the right time and answering answering one pretty important question, and I think with a good answer. The right place, right time was I had just moved back from my years on the East Coast back to Portland, Oregon. Uh, I was established working for DC Comics at the time. I was a regular monthly artist on the Warlord comic, and... Um, uh, I was, uh, the summer that I got back here, um, they were having a, a local comic convention. I got invited to be a guest. I was there, and these two tall guys came up to my table and introduced themselves and said they were starting a, a little black and white comic book company right there in my own hometown. As I say, I thought I was moving 3,000 miles away from the, from, the, from the comic industry, Marvel Comics and DC Comics. It happened to be the year that um, 
that uh, comics distribution had changed, so a lot of little companies were able to get their books out. So companies like Dark Horse Comics, First Comics, Eclipse, Kamiko, a lot of these companies are starting up. And uh, the two guys that introduced themselves to me were Mike Richardson and Randy Stradley. They were starting Dark Horse Comics. And they wanted to get some people who are established pros um, to work for them and their you know, little startup company to, um, I guess, to help give it a little more sense of professional polish or something. I don't know. I wouldn't want to speak for their intentions, but that seems likely. Anyway, the way that they could sort of tempt me away from a steady regular gig for DC Comics was they they offered me the chance to create to, to create a series to do something that I would that that I would most want to do, and uh, it was an opportunity to create what I saw it as an opportunity and an offer to create my dream project, an offer that I thought I would probably never get again in my life. Um, so then the question I had to answer for myself is what would be my dream project? And uh, the answer I came up with was a science fiction series because I just love science fiction. Um, when I was a when I was a kid, I loved it. Uh, you know, Johnny Quest is a pretty science fiction sort of concept. I uh, fell in love with Flash Gordon through the art of Al Williamson, and, and then going back and finding out the the original you know, Alex Raymond stuff and Wally Wood science fiction stuff for EC Comics in the fifties had come across my radar. I just loved all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to do science fiction. Uh, I wanted a, a strong female lead character. There weren't many of those around back in the day, uh, and. Uh, that was just an attractive idea to me, uh, a bounty hunter, so it's steeped in a world, a gritty sort of violent world, and a female character who starts there, and then the series is about her evolution uh, over time, uh, and the, the the toll that sort of takes, and the way it can shape her, and, and her chances of surviving as a human being, <laughs> I guess I'd say. It's kind of what Trek was about. So I came up with this, so the question I answered was, you know, what would my dream project be? And I think I gave a pretty good answer because here it is all the years later and I'm still extremely passionate about telling these stories and continuing this journey to get to the end and find out the answers to some of those questions. So uh, that's a long origin story for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was perfect. (laughs) And I'm so glad you're still so passionate about it. I mean, Marcy St. Clair and Molly Sundown are both such beautiful characters, both in how they are written and drawn. Well, thanks very much. I am, um, I'm, I'm incredibly gratified that a series that I created so many years ago, um, still when I'm at a convention, uh, I will see that the the look and the the design of the series and the style of things sort of catches the eyes of readers who, frankly, some of them probably weren't even born when I created it, um, and they will, I will, I will hear they'll, they'll maybe they'll buy a book at a show and then go home that evening and read it and come back to the convention the next day and want to buy the next book, or at least come by and say how much they loved, um, you know, reading, discovering the series and, and how much they enjoyed the character of Maurice St. Clair. And, uh, I get this feedback from, from men readers and women readers. And, uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's incredibly inspir- inspiring and, and, uh, gratifying to me to, to know that this, this, this character in this world that I sort of have been crafting and pouring everything I love about comics into, um, is, is resonating with readers. That's, that's the best feeling. I, that's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. And gosh, I mean, they're both the characters just have such a charm about them. It's (laughs) almost impossible for readers not to fall in love with them. Well, thanks. Uh, I, I intentionally try to write, write Molly in that, that way. She's just, um, I find just she's just a really fun, delightful character to write. 
And mercy is 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 a little trickier because the idea of mercy. I mean, she she comes from the, she's a badass, you know, and she's uh, she's not a warm fuzzy um, character on the surface. And the the trick with with those sort of characters, I think, is to um, is to let the readers see them obviously a lot more clearly than they see themselves, see more deeply into them than they see into themselves. Um, so that you can recognize what's going on, even though, you know, Mercy often is pretty clueless about what, <laughs> what's really making her tick. That's what Molly's for. You know, <laughs> Molly's got the, uh, the more the uh, relationship uh, and, and emotional intelligence stuff going on. Mercy's incredibly good at her job, and she's got an enormous, gigantic, passion-filled heart that she never wants anybody to know about. Um, but, you know, <laughs> but she can't help but show it. <laughs> And I would be completely remiss if I didn't mention Scuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, wh- where did you come up with the idea of a dox? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I-, I knew that uh, that goes back to the very first, the very first Trekker story uh, that, that I that I that I wrote and drew, um, because as I say from the beginning, I knew I wanted Mercy to. Um, to see herself as sort of this, this implacable, you know, you know, bounty hunting, you know, uh, machine almost. Um, and, and I knew that that character would have absolutely zero appeal to me over the long haul if she was that two dimensional. Um, so, uh, I wanted to clue the readers in right away that there was a lot more to her than this. So, um, I, she, she comes back from a rough day out on the streets, you know, <laughs> tracking down the bad guys to her, her, her modest little apartment. Uh, and there is this scruffy old pet waiting for her. Um, and, uh, I, I wanted to be sort of unique and have a slightly futuristic sort of quality to it. So I thought a domesticated Fox would be kind of a cool way to go with that. Um, so, so the, that's why it's a, a, a dox, a domesticated fox. And the reason it's in the story at all is just to let the readers know that, you know, I mean, a, 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 a terminator wouldn't need a pet, but a human being might. So um, that was just an early tip of the hat that, uh, again, that there's just more going on under the surface than, than Mercy certainly was aware of back when her, when her journey first began. Okay, and if there are people who are new to the Trekker story... Uh, you you have posted um, previous chapters up on a website they can sample. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, every single Trekker story <laughs> uh, is, is posted on the website uh, trekkercomic.com, um, which I, I brought it back and put it that put it up there when 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 I when the, the series had been on a long hiatus and I was getting back to it and I didn't know how. I'd go about getting the stories back into print. I didn't have, I no longer had a relationship with Dark Horse to, or an, I shouldn't say relationship, I didn't have an agreement with Dark Horse and understanding. Um, the book had been lying, the series had been lying dormant for a while. So I thought, well, the first step to to revive it is uh, I can make a website and post all the existing stories, you know, uh, and uh, then I'll find a way to get it back into print. So I just started posting those. And so that serves as sort of like the, the archive. That's where everything is stored. And, um, my thinking was that um, that would get the ball rolling for me to start telling new stories so that I could continue the postings when I'd finished posting all the earlier existing stories. So that happened. Uh, it was also a way to get the books back into print, which happened initially through Dark Horse. 
um, we collect all this stuff and put them out in print. But also, it's a way for for a new reader to go to the website. You can check it out and see what Trek is all about. If you want to, you can read all the stories there. But the stories are not. That's not how I did. That's not the format that I designed the stories to be experienced in. I, you know, certainly craft them and and envision them being experienced by reading them in print in the printed volumes. Plus, I don't make any money when somebody goes and reads my stories for free on the website. So the hope is that's a way that people can, as you say, discover it, find it, sample it. And then hopefully if they want to take a deeper dive, they'll be willing to help me bring the rest of the stories to life by supporting the supporting the books. Okay. And, uh, you know, in the past, you've uh, used Kickstarter to help continue the Trekker story to great mm-hmm. success, I might add. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've been very gratified, yeah. Yeah, and I hear you have a new Kickstarter for an, the next chapter in the story. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. I did um, I did two previous Kickstarters. Um uh, for the books Chapel Town and uh, The Dark Star Zephyr. Both of those Kickstarters funded quickly, and within a few months of the campaigns ending, the books were in readers' hands because I'd already had those stories done. Um, I'm getting ready to launch a Kickstarter for a new book called Battlefields, a new tracker story, that I'm going to launch uh, on May 28th, and it's going to run through June 27th. Uh, for another book, the, the story will be done when the campaign runs. So uh, again, if, if it's successful, the book will be in readers' hands very soon. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a story where I, uh, it works as a great, it, I, I make every Trekker story to work as a great introduction to the character. I want a new reader to be able to pick up virtually any Trekker story. They get a complete adventure in that one volume. That's really important to me because I don't like the idea that the re- reader has to read 300 issue, or pages uh, to, to get the emotional impact or the, the, the meaning out of, a, of, of another of an individual story. So um, so that that said, at the same time, each book now is sort of building on what's come in the past and and uh, moving mercy into new and challenging situations that continue the up the ante as she's on this personal quest uh, uh, that are going to provide revelations into her past and are going to greatly affect how she sees herself, where she sees her place in this world. The series is about the inevitable pull that life puts us through to move us to where we're supposed to be. And in her case, where she's supposed to be is uh, operating on a much larger stage than simply being a bounty hunter. And those those um, those pieces are beginning to come together now. And, and, and a lot of that just really hits home in a pretty dramatic and... Uh, explosive shall i say way in the in the battlefield story okay and uh what, what's the runtime on that kickstarter what time time frame? oh uh it's going to launch on may 28th and it runs through june 27th okay so plenty of time for everyone to start back in that right yep well, is there anything else you can tell us about the, the upcoming stories, or is that just kind of a hush-hush, wait-and-see, everybody back to Kickstarter? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm pretty reluctant to give away too many, uh, you know, I don't like to give away spoilers, I don't like to get get them myself. Um, I just just the broad strokes that I already sort of touched on, that uh, the, the, the series has been, when I began the series, I knew that I wanted it to have to trace the arc of this young woman's life it was going to start in one place on the on the those gritty film noirish sort of blade runnery sort of streets of new gelap the city that she's from but her adventures take her farther and farther afield 
the world expands, gets more subtle, more complicated, more compelling. I hope, uh, and, this, and 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 she and she does the same on this inward journey that she's going on at the same time as she's tracking down the bad guys and facing off against the the killers and stuff. She's also uh, on this inner journey, whether she wants to be or not. Uh, and, and the stakes for all that stuff just rise as the stories go on. Well, hopefully we will get to see it come to its conclusion. I, you know, I hate to say that I want to see Trekker end, but I do want <laughs> to actually see uh, Mercy get her just reward, as the, the phrase is. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Yeah, uh, I'm, 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 I'm having a great time at every step on the journey, and uh, I also am committed to to seeing the journey through to the end. That's still quite a ways away, but uh, I do want to I do want to make sure that the readers get the the resolution uh, to the series that I that I have in mind. And uh, frankly, uh, I've got you know I've got all the will and commitment in the world to make this happen. All I need is the you know the continued support through the Kickstarters to keep the stories coming out on that regular, ongoing basis. That uh, that that's been my goal from the beginning. Well, we are close to wrapping up, but uh, fan, fans of the show, oh, goodness, I don't know if there is such a thing. Listeners of the show <laughs> <laughs> have come to expect a, a little bit of a quote-unquote fun quiz at the end. And since <laughs> yeah. you did did give your consent, I'm afraid you're <laughs> on the hook for this one. <laughs> okay, we'll just we'll just. We'll just hold our breath or close our eyes and cross our fingers and see how it goes. <laughs> All righty. So uh, since this is the Coffee and Comics podcast, mm. you know, beverages are a bit of a staple here, but we do support beverage of choice. So, <laughs> uh, Ron, what would you consider your beverage of choice? You know, it kind of depends on the time of day. I don't mean to be uh, sort of mealy mouth about this. Uh, I start off the morning with a, with a cup of coffee. Uh, I do. Um so definitely in the morning, that is absolutely hands down my beverage of choice. In the afternoon, um, if I feel like I need something to pick me up, that's I, I will either have a second cup of coffee, but often I'll I'll have some tea, um, a little pot of tea with a little lemon in it. Just uh, that can be a refreshing afternoon pick me up. Oh, very nice. Okay, moving on. Uh, would you say you are more of a Betty man or a Veronica man? <laughs> Wow. Um, I'd have to, that's, you know, I've sort of gone back and forth, but I guess I come down on, I come down on the Betty side of things. Okie dokie. So we're going to move on to a little bit harder choices now. <laughs> okay. Would you uh, prefer the Wolfman Perez New Teen Titans or the Claremont Byrne X-Men? Oh, golly. I guess I'd go with the X-Men. Um, I got to say, when I was when I was uh, back in that day, that was the one that uh, th that I that I gravitated more towards. So that hasn't changed. I mean, all props to what George and Marv did on <laughs> Teen Titans. I even drew an issue of that book. So <laughs> I, I have some very very strong affection for both of those creators and for those characters. But uh, yeah, the the Claremont Byrne uh, X Men books were super impactful impactful for me. Alrighty, so which comic book character or series is in most need of an animated or live action adaptation? And by all means, you can say your own work. <laughs> well, I was going to ask for permission because 
Yeah, I mean, uh, that is a that is a frequent question I get or comment. I get it at shows. The question is, when is Trekker going to be turned into a you know a Netflix series or or the comment this would make a great animated series or when's the movie coming out? All those questions I get at virtually every show. Um, and if uh, all it needs is, there, is a producer to come along, <laughs> but uh, that hasn't happened yet, but I live in hope. <laughs> but I do think that Trekker, while I designed it to be a comic book, um, I, I see a lot of series that, that have elements of Trekker in them on, 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 the, on the screen. And I think Trekker would be uh, a, pretty, a pretty strong candidate for that. So I, I, I got to stick with Trekker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> All righty. Well, you're halfway through, so... All right. <laughs> Who would you say is the villain most in need of decaf? <laughs> of decaf? Boy. Oof. <sighs> Who is that? So that would be... I don't know. I would almost say... No. Uh, that's a very tough one. I'm going to go with Two-Face. I think oh, Two-Face cool. needs to chill a little bit. Yeah. I don't think anyone's answered Two-Face to that one yet. That's a good one. Well, I tend to be really attracted to the Batman villains. They're just a colorful bunch of wackos, you know. And uh, yeah, But I'll go with Two-Face. He's just, yeah, he could really be better off that way. <laughs> All righty. So who would you consider the best super pet? The best super pet? I'm a little bull. Uh, no, I'm a dog guy. I'm going to go with Crypto. <laughs> that tends to be the favorite answer well dogs pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. awesome animals <laughs> well i mean it's hard to beat you know what you could consider the original yeah exactly that's true yeah, yeah. all right now here comes a real toughie okay who wins in a fight mighty mouse or the george reeves superman <laughs> This is a great question, and I got a little story, if I if I may. Oh, absolutely! When I was a kid, the Mighty Mouse cartoons were on TV, so I knew Mighty Mouse. And I mean, I was a little little kid, so you got to give me a break. But I had not heard. I heard rumor that there was a man, a human being, that was could do what Mighty Mouse could do. He could fly, and he was really strong. And I said, "Well, that's that can't be, because Mighty Mouse was Mighty Mouse. You know, he was the one, right?" So then I find, of course, it's Superman, you know, and I oh, Superman. But even when I was a little kid, I said, well, Mighty Mouse, of course, I was a Mighty Mouse guy because I heard about him first, right? But, well, Mighty Mouse would beat Superman. Why? Mighty Mouse has hypnovision. Mighty Mouse would hypnotize those cats. So if he could hypnotize the cats, he would just hypnotize Superman. So Mighty Mouse wins. So I got an easy answer for you because I've had it ever since I was a little kid. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> This is three years worth of payoff right here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, now I just feel like, you know, everything's downhill from here. But luckily, there's only one question left. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> so, would you prefer having a lifetime of cheap comics, but Dr. Mm. Doom has a grudge against you, <laughs> or, comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor. Uh, I got to go with the latter because I I value my skin, and if Doctor <laughs> Doom has a grudge against me, I'm not going to survive that. I'm a realist, 
<laughs> I am not a superhero. I I'm not Mr. Fantastic. If Doctor Doom's out to get me, I'm done. So <laughs> I have to I have to just really treasure the few comics I can afford, you know. <laughs> and maybe 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 be able to read my friends' comics that they buy the other ones and that uh, I'd have to find some way to cope with it, but I I think with if Doom's after me, I'm just going to get planted pretty fast. So <laughs> Well, that sounds like a wonderful answer. <laughs> it's probably the coward's answer, but I'm an artist. I'm, I'm not a fighter. <laughs> it's still an answer, and it keeps you alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of my criteria, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Ron. Thank you for agreeing to that, and thank you for agreeing fun. to be on the show. My uh, pleasure. It was great fun. Yeah. For anyone uh, who wants to connect with you online, uh, you are active on Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think on, on, on Twitter, I'm just at Ron underscore Randall. Um, and I'm on Facebook. You can find me there. Uh, there's also a um, Ron Randall's Trekker Facebook fan page that people can uh, can subscribe to. And uh, yeah, and you can find the Trekker comics uh, online and uh I do everything I can to be discoverable. <laughs> <laughs> and I will admit, folks, he is very personable, so feel free to send him a message. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's funny. B- before the age of social media, um, I, it, it seemed to me my perception as a young person was the artists, whether there was you know, the musicians that I loved or novelists, um, were sort of, sort of these aloof beings you know um and in the age of social media that doesn't to be i mean some people i guess can still do that but more and more creators are having these direct connections interactions uh with a lot of the readers and fans and um i wasn't sure that that was the quote-unquote the right way the way it was supposed to be because it isn't the way it was at least it wasn't my perception of things when i was younger but i found out how how incredibly enjoyable it is to be able to have these exchanges with fans and uh just like going to conventions, I have these wonderful interactions, and I do the same um, with comments that I get on on the Facebook page and uh, on Twitter. It's uh, I really enjoy the interactions. In fact, uh, when I run the Kickstarters, I refer to the Trekker community because uh, I feel that I am collaborating with the readers of Trekker to continue to make these stories possible. Um, it's it's it really feels like it's a like a, a like a teamwork a group activity and i feel i feel that support and i'm deeply moved by it um so um uh we, we live in an, a, an incredible age <laughs> and i'm very grateful to be living and working in comics and and getting a chance to do my 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 passion project right now it's it's a great time for us cartoonists <laughs> oh well i'm i'm so glad because i mean it like you said, it's just wonderful to be able to make that connection, especially from the fans' point of view. Yeah, yeah, it is. All right, is there anything else? Well, like, like I said, I, for me, it cuts both ways. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh no, I, I'm sorry. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is there um, anything else you'd like? No, to No, I think you've done a great job. Okay. No, I think you've done a great job. Coming, uh, the the main thing I you know, uh, no, you've you've done a great job. <laughs> oh, thank you. All <laughs> right. Well, I think that about wraps it up, and. At this point, I would probably take a promo break and be back with listener feedback. 
Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at trekkertalk.com. Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr. If you're a history lover or a musical lover, you probably know about both Hamilton and Burr's rise to power in the early stages of American history and their infamous duel. But what if you didn't know the full story? What if one of them was a werewolf? White Rocket Entertainment proudly presents a 48-page full-color comic book, Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Written by Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Art by Nate Niles. Colors by Ace Wheely and Ken Solomon. Letters by Percival Constantine. And edited by Johanna Albrecht. Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Available digitally on Kindle and Comics Central. C-O-M-I-X Central. Prefer a print copy? Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale, along with my other published works, are available at theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. That's theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. Or you can buy it directly from me, Creator Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, at any of my Comic-Con appearances. Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. Get your copy today. You won't regret it. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Ming Chen from AMC's TV series Comic Book Men had to say about it. I really enjoyed it. A lot of great werewolf scenes in here. A lot of great... Uh, this is how I wish history would be told to kids. <laughs> <laughs> Books like a- a Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. That's Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. show from the Fire and Water Podcast Network celebrating the classic Saturday morning cartoons. Available on fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Hey, welcome back. 
Once again, much thanks to Ron Randall for the interview. I really appreciate it. Everybody go check out the Kickstarter at trekkerkickstarter.com. As of uh, over the weekend, the Kickstarter has been fully funded. Uh, thanks to everyone that participated. It was really amazing. I'm very impressed, and Ron is very impressed. He has expressed it on social media. But that doesn't mean we stop here, folks. There are stretch goals. Always great to overfund Kickstarter because that just means more Trekker for all the fans. So, getting to feedback on last episode, which as a reminder was me finishing up the JL May Blackest Night coverage. Thanks to everyone who participated in JL May, by the way. Especially big shout out to Chad Bolkeman for organizing all of us together. I got Twitter likes and shares from... Aaron Head Moss, G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast, The Bat Pod, Bill Beer, The Blog of Oa, Laurel at Mountain Flower One, Green Lantern HG, Professor Frenzy, It's a Show, Longbox Crusade, Tom Beach, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Jack Roca, Iowa's Joe Crawford, Sean Ross of Secret Wars and Beyond, the Dr. DC Podcast, The Book of Oa, Between the Pages, Trekker Talk, Emerald Centurion, The Lantern Cast, Ronnie the Baron, Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Absolute DC Podcast. On Facebook, we got likes and shares from Siskoid, Aaron Head Moss, Pat Sampson, Bill Beer, Al Sedano, Gene Hendricks, The Longbox Crusade, Jason Albrick, Alan Middleton, Michael Lane, Jason Briggs, The Irredeemable Shag, and Joey Galvez. As always, if I missed anybody's name, please let me know. I would love to make it up to you. There seemed to be no direct feedback on the last episode, which is fine and dandy. I just, you know, I hope everybody's still enjoying uh, if you're still running behind, go back and listen to all the JLMA coverage. Don't worry, it's still up there. Some of us were last minuteers, but every episode is good. So I guess that is a quick feedback section. Kind of, you know, quick and dirty this time, but hey, you already sat through the best part of the episode, so... Once again, check out that Kickstarter at trekkerkickstarter.com. One last bit of thanks to Ron Randall for the interview, and thanks again to the Sutherlands for helping me get in contact with Ron. It has been a pleasure all around. So, until next time, this is the place where the comics are never too old, and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners, and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg.